You're making a lot of noise is what you're doing. I'm trying to burp, but it's not working. Didn't you miss me? No. With every bullet so far. <laughs> what? <laughs> she missed it. She missed it. She missed that one, too. <laughs> oh, I get it now. <laughs> I get it. I got it. Took a while, but I got it. <laughs> That was that was like a Nancyism. I think I call him Nancyism. Those those smart alley key responses are just perfect. I call him Nancyism. <laughs> One of the first one Nancy said. I remember years ago we were doing the Halloween show and <laughs> and it was Connie. Connie was here with us with her daughter, and she, Connie says to her daughter, "You know, don't don't be afraid. Otherwise, I'll rock you to sleep." And Nancy says, "With a real rock." <laughs> oh fuck. Oh my god. I always think yours are much better. I think Kirsten's Kirsten always comes up with good ones. I don't know, but uh, you guys you guys have some of the best lines ever. Oh all right. You're just easily entertained. That too. Hi, this is Professor Joel Backen and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud of being an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. <clears throat> Coming at you from warming up BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I asked my girlfriend if I was the only one she'd been with. She said yes, all the others were 8, 9s, and 10s. Joining me as usual is a team who wonders if a pastafarian practices magic, is he a saucer? Yes. She misspelled massacre as mascara. You can't make up this stuff, Nancy. Well, with being an assassin, you have to be able to do those things. <laughs> she could probably kill someone with mascara. She oh, I'd never kill anybody without it. <laughs> <laughs> she broke the news that Trump worked in adult films but only had small parts. Christina. Oh, that was an unfortunate video to watch. <laughs> And she loves the idea of marriage to find that one special person she can annoy for life, Kirsten. Hi, special person. Uh, hi. <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. Hope you had a great week. I did. We got another puppy. Yes, we did. Oh, we're not going to start this show with a puppy story again. But it's so cute and fluffy and <sighs> white. And so tiny. She's so tiny. So anyway, <laughs> we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking to Dr. Matthew Hussinger in the second half of the show. And we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. And it is going to be an amazing conversation because this is my wheelhouse. Okay. I grew up in conspiracy theories. Perfect. <laughs> she is a conspiracy theory. No, Nancy is the conspiracy theory. Yeah, there is no, uh, there's no actual Christina. <laughs> she exactly. I'm exist. a conglomeration. She's, just, she's a paid actress. <laughs> I fucking wish. <laughs> <laughs> but first, let's do a chit chat. Um, did you guys see uh, Fox News had a uh, town hall with uh, Bernie Sanders? Yes. I didn't see it. Oh my I, god, it was I only amazing. saw the reaction to it. So fill me in. It was absolutely fantastic. It was. He, he absolutely killed it. He absolutely killed it. Uh, there was uh, 2.6 million viewers of that, which is like a really, I think it's the highest number they ever had. Uh, and now Bernie. He's, he's definitely amazing. he's definitely the front runner for the United States uh, Democratic uh, leadership. I want to, I, so I haven't actually asked my parents this, because my parents literally have Fox News on mm-hmm. 24-7. Oh, geez. And they're Canadian, so I don't know why they're watching it. 
but I want to ask them if they watched it and see their reaction. It, it was it was absolutely surprising to see people actually like sh- chanting his name, like a Fox News audience, and people were cheering. It's there was because this Bernie's one, amazing. Yes, he is. There was this one point where he actually uh, the the uh, the uh, interviewer actually helped uh, ask people if they would raise their hand if they had private insurance, mm-hmm. and some of them did. And then he asked, "Would uh, you be willing to did, switch actually. to switch over to what Bernie was proposing, which is universal uh, health care?" and the vast majority of them did with, with to cheer him. Yes, it was absolutely amazing to see. Absolutely amazing to see. So well, if you I haven't seen it, it's Trump, worth I think the Trump supporters, I, uh, and uh, let me just put people across the board, want their health care mm-hmm. to remain. They don't want any cuts in health care, and they. I think they would go for um, uh, single payer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, I think most people are a little reluctant to that because of the socialism tag. Yeah. But it, start messing with healthcare yeah. and and you got a, and you I got think, a problem. And I think so many people voted for Trump because he wasn't an establishment candidate. He was he said he was going like doing things for them oh, he with, totally without really doing it but Bernie Sanders has the history he has mm-hmm. 40 years of proof that he works for the people personally he is an establishment personally like I told uh, by the oh by the way if you guys didn't catch I was on Unapologetics Ooh, with uh, Brent Lee uh, he released that this week so if you guys can watch that they're a great little show by the way they're, they're Brent and Nikki they're great people they are love, love them. them and uh, like I said on his show I said you know personally right now as a Canadian would even our prime minister? I would trade in Justin Trudeau for Bernie oh, Sanders. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, I would literally even yes. with his majestic hair. I would trade in oh, Bernie, Sa- Bernie uh, Sanders. Bernie Sanders is for, like for Justin Trudeau. He, Bernie Sanders is a politician that made me realize all politicians aren't evil. Yeah, exactly. Like well, like I remember being eighteen years old and hearing about Bernie what was Sanders that last week. It was yes, <laughs> um, and. Being like, what is this? Like, oh my gosh, there's a politician that has been for his whole political career working for the betterment of society, not for himself. Yeah. Wow. He doesn't just walk to walk. He no. doesn't talk to talk. He walks to walk. So I'll make a prediction. I supported Bernie mm-hmm. in 2016. I think he now is the founder of a lot of really good movements for the mm-hmm. younger people. I don't think he's going to be a front runner. He is a front runner right now. I, but you got a year and a half. To yeah, I know. I agree. I, mm-hmm. I think I, I, I think one of the the younger generation is is going to going to take over. Well, I, I, I hope you're I'm wrong, not, my dear Nancy. I, I question if someone else could. Well, Joe Biden apparently announced it. He's going to announce next week if he's well, running. But the thing is, Joe Biden doesn't have the same history no, that Bernie does. He. And Bernie has an ability to inspire people. Well, you know we, that, we, that other people don't. You have to remember we're we're looking at this from our Canadian point of view. Yeah. Uh, the Americans don't necessarily think exactly like us. Um, it's really up to them to decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, to our American listeners, I frankly don't understand why you wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Like this guy it was just amazing that you did in 2016. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. moving on to but, that. But one more thing, I think another thing that Bernie has that I think will keep him. As the front runner is his ability to talk to crowds and explain explain how certain policy changes will impact them mm-hmm. positively and yeah. how the current president is impacting them negatively. He's that cool grandpa you like. Yeah. yeah he really is. And, and I don't think his age will be something that 
makes him not able to be president because his he's still you can see he is still healthy he still runs around yeah exactly to get that's places. like one of your favorite vines he's almost he's almost as yeah, in good shape as, as nancy exactly <laughs> um we'll have to have a we'll have to have a program as this goes on one of our shows is going to have to be devoted yes. to to the yeah. definitely when it gets all closer. the contenders all right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, elections, did you see that uh, Alberta, unfortunately, elected uh, Jason Kenney? Really? Yeah. The United Conservative Party is back in power in Jesus Alberta. Christ. Which is absolutely astounding to me because, you know, uh, of course, Alberta has always had pretty much a conservative they party except for the one lately. And this guy, this is a guy who's under RCMP investigation for a whole bunch of things. Holy shit, You know, guys. half half of it, well, half, a whole bunch of uh, people in his, uh, that were running with him had to be excused because, you know, of racist, white supremacist things. Yet, he still got in there. Mm-hmm. So, What's his appeal? I think the white supremacist stuff. I, 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 I think I think the appeal is first of all I think he's using a whole bunch of uh, he's using BC against uh, against the Albertans. Yeah. He's basically saying that he he's going to get in there and he threatens to quote turn off the taps of the oil coming into BC. Now, which is interesting in that is Joel Backen, which we interviewed last week. Actually, was a, there was an article and he actually pro, uh, uh, pro, uh, pronounced himself on that specific point. Because he is a professional uh, professor of constitutional law, and he basically said this, to, for Jason Kenney to do that would not hold up in court. It's nice. basically unconstitutional. And this is the professor that we talked about, mm-hmm. we talked to last week. So it was just a trigger for his audience. It's yeah. exactly, and it works. Yeah. It works because I'm starting to think, you know, that let's face it, you know, as as much as we like to think of ourselves as a bit better than the Americans when it comes to voting, it doesn't we're seem still that we are. Human. It doesn't seem that we are. It seems fear, that we're just as stupid. Fear still <clears throat> plays. With our minds, we still vote on fear Absolutely. more than hope. Did you guys hear that uh, the 2019 World Happiness Report says Finland is the happiest country in the yeah, world? Yeah, go Finland. I don't know. I'm trying to think. We did some of those on top tens. So, yes. And I, I think the Scandinavian oh, countries. Yeah. Absolutely. Came, yep. the, the I can't US. remember whether Iceland or Finland came but they're pretty close. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in the top there, yeah. these guys, right? Uh, the U.S. dropped a 19. Oh, surprise. The worst ranking ever from the United States. Wow. Jeez, that's because they're winning so much, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, this, all, of course, all that. Because they're so great. This, homegrown of, this of course, is, a ter- this is determined by the GDP per capita, the life expectancy, the social support, the freedom to make choices, and the generosity of people, and the perception of, co- of government corruption. These are the factors they use to determine your ranking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada, in case you're interested, came in at number nine. Yay! So, Canada, a much happier country than the United States. Yeah, guys. Come north. Yeah. Of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys hear that Israel has sent a lander on the moon? Really, called, I didn't. It's called Beresheet, and uh, it would have been the, they would have been the fourth country on the moon. Uh, unfortunately, the craft had an engine failure and it oh, crashed. No. Oh no! Yeah, the engine cut at ten kilometers from the surface, and it crashed at one hundred thirty-four meters per second velocity. <laughs> So um, <laughs> Israel basically said, well, well, we failed this time, but we're going to try again in yeah, about two they, years. They, yeah, they, they got really close. They that's got a really great close. achievement. Yeah. It, is, it is. I mean, engine failure, that's, you know, something could just, it, sometimes things happen. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. You know, and it's the a gamble nice when you do things like that. And the thing is, is they can use all the information they got from that this 
um, mission. And they will. And use it to better improve yeah, they're on their a, technology. They're on a continuum. You know, yep. this is this is an experiment, mm-hmm. and they'll learn from it. Yep. Well, that's what we on. do. That's what we do for all space travel. Yeah, like, exactly. You, did you, you guys, use the information you got. Did you guys hear that BC, right here in BC, they've proposed legislation to make all new cars zero emission by 2040. <gasps> really? Yeah. I want a Tesla. So they they're, they're thinking of impo- <laughs> this. They're, they've proposed the, legisl- the legislation hasn't passed yet, uh, but uh, according to the plan. 10% of these cars would be, uh, by 2025, would be fully electric to zero emission, I should say. Fantastic. 30% by 2030. That's and awesome. And 100% by 2040. So it's, this is already based on legislation that's already in place in Quebec mm-hmm. and California. I would support that. Yeah. Isn't there going to be some kind of subsidy? But the car that you want to buy has to be over fifty or $55,000. Uh, I'm not sure about the details of that. I'm thinking... Holy cow! You know, yeah. fifty-five. I've had houses that have cost less than fifty-five thousand. Well, yeah, well, of course, I think, a while ago. But yeah, yeah, a while back. But if you want a good electric car today, uh, they are about forty-five thousand yeah. dollars a piece yeah. easily. I think the thing that's going to make electric cars more affordable is are are things like this that make people buy them more yeah. because if people aren't buying the cars they aren't going to put the money into um like research for r&d to find ways of making batteries cheaper of making them last longer so i think what there's going to be a, a time when people switch over that it's going to be way more affordable. Yeah, I think part of it, too, from what I understand, is people say, well, I would buy one, but in my yeah. condo, we don't have a charging station. That's yeah. the charging station. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they are getting way more pop- popular. Like, I, I see so many Teslas in Abbotsford. Oh, I've, like, I've, I've, in I've the last, looking at one myself. On a in the last basis. month, well, like, there was so especially many. Especially with gas prices, oh, yeah. as they yeah. are right now, so many people are like, oh, well, uh, in the long run, Electric cars are going to be way cheaper. Like, like I was saying last week, my, my, my truck right now costs about $120 Canadian to fill up. And mm. I'm filling up about once a week. That's so that, that's about $500 a month. Yeah. That is a car payment right there. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, you that, know, that's less weight. That's almost double my so car payment. Even if I had a car payment that was really high, if I'm saving $500 in fuel, yeah, yeah. you know what? So, <laughs> that's so, okay by me. Mm-hmm. So here's the plan. Sorry to cut you off there, Nancy. No. Instead of saving up for a car, we'll save up extra and we'll get an electric car. Oh, don't yeah, tempt right. me like this. <laughs> yes, that's what we'll do. Yeah. That's I, the plan. I think one thing that people, one reason people are reluctant to switch over to electric is that they think they don't get the mileage. Yeah, yeah. But there are some electric cars right now getting 300 Oh, 500. 500. For, for one charge. Yeah, 500. Like, my car at a full tank gets like 600K. Yeah. I, I, and that's like from full to empty. I, I had a guy tell me, he said, well, yeah, but you're only getting 500K. What if you go on a trip? When, when does that happen? Well, Once but, a year? And, so and I you, can rent the car those, those are practical things that will work themselves out. That's it, like, exactly. that, it has to do with charging stations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, the technology will catch up with itself. Yeah. Maybe not in the next five, ten years, but I think ten and years. And when, when electric cars become more popular... The country people like doing service on like like uh, saying going over the Coquihalla, they're going to put a charging station in if yeah. people need it, because where demand lies, 
the people's yeah. supply. Well, that's what they did with gas stations. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. what, that's how yeah. the, the highways coast to coast. People back then said automobiles. That's not going to happen. We yeah. have car. We have horses. Why the hell would we need yeah. cars? Right. And, I, mean, and it's I think ridiculous. that's I think that's yeah. really a, a, an argument that no, just doesn't no, hold up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit the same people that say, "Oh, cell phones. What do you mean? We can get a perfectly mm-hmm. paid phone right here on the corner. Yeah, electricity. Well, I love my candles. Why the hell would I need electricity? Mm-hmm. So th- we always have yeah. this stupid argument yeah. from conservatives. So it's not. But gonna, I mean, that goes back to you can't to stop my, progress. That goes back to what I said about people aren't buying because of a charging station. So it seems like I'm diametrically opposed in, in the same argument. Mm-hmm. But I, I think these things will work themselves out. Yeah. Uh, either by subsidies or something so that mm-hmm. there are the charging stations mm-hmm. locally yep. and across countries. And, and it's so. becoming way more common to see charging stations yeah. at stores and when gas I, stations. When I was talking to the Tesla guy, uh, he said that if you plug in your car and if you, let's say you have a house and you just install a little plug-in mm-hmm. for like a 220, which is the same plug-in that you have for your uh, your dryer, mm-hmm. uh, your car charges in about two hours. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. So overnight? If you, yeah, overnight. Not even that. It's just a couple hours yeah if, if you plug it into like the regular 110 plug that may take up to two days to fully charge <laughs> so but it would still charge it really should charge. be that maybe not in 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 freestanding houses but i think with apartment buildings there ought to be some kind of um requirement that all new construction mm. have uh, x number of yeah, charging absolutely. stations because when yeah. you put them in initially you know that's the best way to go. Well, I know there's one at the bank just down the road from us. There's a charging station. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, right now BC has already seventeen thousand electric vehicles on the road, which is the highest in Canada. Yeah. Mm. Okay. To be fair, we're BC. Yeah. We're all hippies here. No. <laughs> so last but certainly not least, uh, I want to talk briefly about uh, the uh, cathedral Notre Dame, who caught on fire this week. Yeah. Uh, you guys have any thoughts about this? Not I think really. it's it, like anything else when you have a, a building that's 850 years old and you lose yeah. some of that history, it's tragic. Yeah. However, there was no doubt that people were going to step up yeah. and redo it. There was yeah. just no doubt in anybody's mind. Nobody knew the amount or who was going to do it. It's a tragedy but no lives were lost and things were rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad no lives were lost. Uh, most of the, uh, the quote-unquote treasures of the, uh, the, the place were saved. Uh, basically, the, the structure is pretty much intact. Uh, the roof is willing to be rebuilt. Um, it was apparently an electrical spark yeah. from the yes. renovations. So there was there was some conspiracy theories that was arson <laughs> involved yeah. and blah, blah, blah. No, no, there's nothing like that. It was just like bad luck. Um I'm a tad disgusted at how fast the funding for this arose. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is not a, it has to do with atheism because, you know, just because I'm an atheist doesn't mean I, I wanted to see the, 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 the structure come down. I mean, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of architecture. Yeah, it is. It's a piece of history. We, sh- we don't want to see it crumble necessarily. At least um, yet. The fact is one day it will crumble. <laughs> but, yeah. But the, the, the thing is, is, you know, to see how quickly some very rich people came forward and gave over one billion dollars, yeah. like within a day, so people were donating millions. Within twenty-four hours to fix Notre Dame, yet you can't help but think these are the same people uh-huh. that could save yep. humanity yep. and end poverty, yet they don't do it. Yep. yep. And that was that actually kind of made me sick. 
Um, also, there's another thing. Some people were saying, well, why don't you just let the Vatican pay for it? There's a little piece here. What you don't know is Notre Dame is not owned by the Vatican. It's actually owned by France. So uh, the country owns the, 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 the cathedral, mm-hmm. not the Vatican. Wow. So, I, I, I don't know. I've, yeah, I've heard that argument, and, and I, I go along with it. Of course I go along with it. But to a certain degree, I think there are a, a lot of people who contribute in one way or the other, maybe not as publicly and not as much. But you're right, those spectacularly public things draw. And so know, fast. But I'm just hoping that some of these millionaires who have donated have also, in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, I've got to put a positive spin on this, mm. you know, rather than feeling depressed, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, maybe maybe they gave an equal amount or a little bit less to mm. charities that involve, you know, humanity as well as architecture. But, but that's the thing. I mean, but you, we don't know that. It, do it, let's say you take the same group of billionaires, which we don't know who they are, and not even half, a quarter, let's, yeah. let's say $250 million. Yeah. And let's say, let's say, okay, you know what, let's take get together a bunch of philanthropist billionaires, $250 million, and let's solve poverty in the U.S. You've done it. Mm-hmm. You've done it all in, in 24 hours. I, I think what the reason it doesn't happen like that is when you look at the psychological impact of watching a building that like we grew up watching Hunchback of Notre Dame yeah. we we have an emotional connection to it through movies and in history and the works of Victoria Hugo exactly <laughs> and I think where watching like watch I didn't actually watch the video of it burning but like um the spire falling like it it elicits an emotional reaction where so many people with the poor and needy think oh well they've done something to earn yes, that yes yes they've they if they wanted to to be a millionaire they just have to pull themselves up by the bootstrap they don't really like the fact that the, the emotion isn't there that that realization that like I as a human on this planet have a connection to these other humans on this planet and I can help them the fact that a building uh, uh, even a, an historical building inspires more grief. sympathy and grief than a, a, an actual than, person than a suffering child starving to death is is really 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 yeah. condemns our species it really is yeah i think you know it's just it's so inconsistent for instance if there's a a hurricane or a cyclone or whatever and and it impacts mm-hmm. x number of hundreds of thousands of people the outpouring is pretty generous you know for the first um, 24 hours a week and so forth those kinds of catastrophes people do have the emotional mm-hmm. impact it's the slower death the people who yeah. are starving yeah. to death yeah. the children who don't get proper nutrition because you know their their parents are in a shelter they're in a shelter it's those kinds of things yeah. that are not in our consciousness mm-hmm. all the time and i think it, care of. we're well, just kind of an inconsistent species <laughs> aren't we well, i i think earlier we were talking about that that people's ability to separate the out group and the in group and i think that also plays into this like mm-hmm. people see the needy as the out group because yeah. i'm not needy yeah yeah exactly. and then they don't realize all that separates them and the people who are starving to death are like a couple ones of incidents. and zeros yeah yeah and and life 
uh, like situations that you don't actually have control over. All of us, yeah. all of us are essentially two steps away from being the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I could walk out tomorrow, get hit by a truck, be a paraplegic, and I've got no means of support, and yeah. end up being on Skid Row in no time. It could very well happen. So anyway. But you have friends that would. Help. I do. I do. <laughs> you could come live in our zoo. <laughs> Yeah, you get, I don't think you have a cage big enough for me. <laughs> but I can I'm, make one. I'm, I'm, I'm toilet trained, though. <laughs> My do, you dear sleep and, and do you sleep through the night? I Those do, the I two, do. The two criteria yeah. for the puppies that are on the stem for you to... You sleep through the night and you're... Are you paper trained? Yes. Okay. I'll <laughs> make sure to lick you very well, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> My dear Nancy, you got to adopt them for us? I do, and it's kind of like a, a little bit of what we were talking about with the Tesla in a way. <laughs> this is um, 10 futuristic technologies we actually need, and some of these are are kind of far out, and some of them are practical, but it's an interesting list, and I think it might stimulate... Technologies um, that we need, I love Yeah, that. so it kind of stimulate a conversation as to whether or not the ones that are on this list are ones that we really need, or should we think about something mm-hmm. else? So these are from 2018, so they're recent, and even though they're, they're listed from 10 to 1, I'm not going to put a top... You know, this is better than the other one. Mm-hmm. The first one that um, this author thinks that we, uh, an invention that humanity can actually use in a very practical sense, is an accurate breathalyzer to know if someone is high on marijuana. Yes. Ooh, yes. So yep. that, that, it's because law enforcement has a difficult task um, when it comes to to drivers who are who are drunk, but, but there are drivers mm-hmm. who are high on heroin, meth, and legally, of course, here, mar- marijuana. Mm-hmm. So um, it raises a difficult question for the police. How do you know if a driver is under the influence of marijuana in a way that wouldn't be constantly thrown out in any in any court? So um, there is a small startup that has a device that they're testing with law enforcement that uh, can test for alcohol, but it's limited and it can only tell if you smoke within the last two hours. So I, I don't know what that's. I think the idea the starting point of that is actually misplaced. I don't I don't think we need a breathalyzer because so many people marijuana reacts so differently to different people. I think it's instead of like how can we get a breathalyzer? I think we need to develop a, a test that maybe works on like coordination, like eye movement, like something that can test how cognitively impaired you are versus how much marijuana you've ingested. Yeah, but then you're always making the assumption that you're dealing with somebody who's completely able-bodied as well. Yeah. Well, but if, if, if you fail the test, you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> no, but if, if, you have, if you have a physical impairment or you have Nancy that had a, a broken shoulder or something like that, right? I mean, all of a sudden, mm. you're, you're not going to be as... Yeah, no, no. You definitely have to work with people in the community that have disabilities or like because you don't want it to be ableist and be like oh you have to have like two hands mm. two eyes to have this test work but I what, I what I'm meaning is I think trying to develop a breathalyzer isn't actually the direction we need to go for marijuana yeah there are other ways you could target behavior yeah rather be- than because that. I someone who's only smoked marijuana once yeah. will digest will like 
um, it'll work in my system vastly different than someone who's been smoking since they were like a teenager and is now 50 years old. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they're going to have to develop something that's non-invasive that the average policeman Mm -hmm. can can read. And if the data goes to a goes to another um, uh, center someplace where it can be interpreted, yeah, no, that'd be fine. But it's, enough, it's a challenge. Soon enough, you'll just have a breathalyzer to start your car. There's no, yeah, there's no totally. key. You just blow yeah. in the tube, and that's how it starts your car. Yeah. I have a feeling those kinds of devices are already being mm-hmm. tested, you know, and we'll, we'll hear about them. What do you think? In the next year, do you think we'll... I don't know. Anyway, in the meantime, we'll move it on. Okay. Um, <laughs> home security systems that use... This is really interesting. Carefully targeted infrasound hmm. to scare off intruders. So we have a lot of state-of-the-art security systems, but most of them are concerned with motion detection, yeah. cameras, loud noises, and so forth, um, and law enforcement. But infrasound might be able to send out um, a sound that is weaponized so that whoever hears it has the feeling that there's something, there's impending doom, something is going to happen, oh. and they want to, they're targeted and they want to get away. So it from basically the sound. messes sound. with your brain yeah. to make you think, yeah. oh, this is a bad idea. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, we really don't, the, the word infrasound is just not familiar to us, and some people call it the fear frequency. I kind of mm. like it. That sounds like kind of fun. Yeah, it has like a fight or flight feeling. So that's kind of interesting to so work on. So it basically would make you feel like me every day. Yeah, this is kind of like what we're talking about <laughs> marijuana. It's changing the focus from the breathalyzer yeah. to infrasound, which yeah, is kind of Yeah, but do you, do you really want a, a, a guy who's breaking into your house to be fearful as well all of a sudden? Yeah, you especially, know, especially if he's on. Yeah. Start shooting enough. at whatever moves. I don't know. It's yeah, a good no, question. It's, I mean, yeah, it's a good It's good that they're looking at different mm-hmm. ways to, to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, definitely. And number eight is the James Bond fingerprint gun. <laughs> only a partial prototype actually exists. So this is a gun that cannot be fired Unless without you the right your handprint. That's so cool. there isn't anything like it right now, but a German company did try to make a prototype, but it was just clunky and it <laughs> never worked. Now, it's only going to work on your own gun because if you have another gun yeah. that doesn't, but do you think it would reduce and do you think? Of, well, I mean, they usually it's used, I mean, it's used in science fiction a lot to identify whoever shot one person, right? So you say this this bullet came from this gun and this gun is printed to this person. Therefore, there's your, your there's your murder. Yeah. yeah. You see that in um what's that uh what's that horrible movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone there uh, Judge Dredd? Remember that one? I've never seen that one. Well, anyway, it's it's in the future. It's all mm-hmm. sci-fi and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting. It is. Here's a here's an interesting one, an exercise bike or bike switching station that powers a home generator. Yes. 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 That would that's oh, you a guys great like idea. That one. Why, you, why you, do you like that? Well, I've even seen one day, and they actually have a miniature laundry machine in the bicycle. Oh, yeah, so I did you, see that so one. You put your laundry in there, and as you pedal, it kind of stirs the, the oh laundry gosh. and cleans your laundry. So. Yeah, so I, I, I guess it, if you're you're stuck inside and your electricity is out, everybody climbs on their own bike, bike yeah. and you've got enough. You pedal for an hour, it gives you electricity for 24. There we go. Or, <laughs> or, or yeah. if we've developed better, like, battery storage, um, yeah. uh you say you can ride on the bike and it stores it until the night. And when your solar panels aren't 
Like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you're like taking the sun's energy, you can use that. <laughs> if, if you go to some, some festivals, you'll see sometimes they'll have a, a bicycle uh, linked up to a blender. So you can make your own smoothie, but you have to pedal to get the blender oh, going. Right? So <laughs> I would be down for that. Yeah, but it is interesting, especially people who now are looking for places to live off the grid yeah. where yeah. they can, totally. you know, and I would imagine in different countries as well. It's a way, you know, for the community to take There's turns. a lot of very imaginative yeah. way to create electricity. Yeah. So Not I, to mention you wouldn't need gas to power your generator. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's that's a, that's an interesting way to do it. This is this is another interesting one. A ferromagnetic. This I think is going to interest you, Kevin. A ferromagnetic roadway and walkways for practical hover vehicle oh, technology. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Are you familiar with any of that? Uh, this I think the the idea of that came out especially with that old movie Back to the Future where they had the hoverboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of like uh-huh. magnetized somehow. That's that's it. They they call that maglev for yeah, magnet exactly. and levitation. And they do have trains that do work on that principle. Maglev is basically pushed and stopped with magnets, exactly. right? Exactly. So one why elevates not do it on the road? and the other pushes. Exactly. It's got very little resistance because it's elevated. It's essentially floating on air, mm-hmm. so it just goes incredible speeds. Yeah. So I think I think that technology would be uh, pretty pretty amazing. I think the, the problem is is you can do it on the train because you can have a dedicated rack. But if yeah. you if every little car was like that, how quickly can you break with something like that when somebody darts in front of you? Well, in question. most countries, that's a big. Big question, but there are three countries that are actually putting this into use on their trains. Japan, Korea, and China. Nice. So far in the Western Station, it's it's incredibly expensive, and there are some drawbacks to it. But uh, but there are no moving parts <laughs> to to that it. That is and so cool. Everybody's. I would imagine everybody who's interested in the technology. Mm-hmm. The reason I thought you would be interested in it is because you remember we were talking about the roadways that yes. would melt. You know, so I thought the, well, the, the electric, is, yeah, the, uh, the the solar highway. Okay, here this is this is this is a cutie. Number five, researchers are looking into ways to use our own body heat to charge our phones. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, know. I would forever have a fully charged phone. <laughs> yeah. I it, it's really, it's really interesting because yeah. I could just put my phone in the folds with my fat here and like charge yeah. right now. You could use your pocket to generate energy from your body heat, and so it's not, um, it's not anything that's um, um, technically advanced at this point to say we could do it. But there's some interest in using body heat mm-hmm. to do a number of I, different things, and charging the phones is one of them. I wonder if it can use other kinds of heat as well. Or if it's just body heat. Like, if you put it out in the sun, would it charge? <laughs> yeah. You could, you know, there's so many different ways, and each one of these leads to something else, and someone thinks of a different mm-hmm. use. There was, so, there was a story recently of a little girl who invented a flashlight that was using body heat to generate the I electricity. I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that, so. Okay, number four, if we could create a truly energy-efficient world, much of fossil fuel would be eliminated. Yeah. Of course, we, we understand that. I so there's an incredible amount of energy that's just going untapped. So. I mean, uh, you, you think about it this way. Even the most efficient car engine is only efficient at about 30%. Mm-hmm. You, lose, you lose like 60% plus of all the energy generated in that car, right, just by heat. Uh-huh. Because of the explosion, right? So you're not really, you know, it's really not efficient. It's it's efficient in the sense that it gets the work done, but 
there's so much energy that we lose out of this. Yeah, there's the the energy going along with heat energy in a way using ourselves is kinetic energy and from our own movement. So that there there is a company that found its way onto the Shark Tank, which mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, subsidizes or gives money to different businesses, and they designed a special device that could help charge a small a smartphone while you walk. Oh, yeah. That's so, so that cool. might, and they're they're working Sweet. on other little smaller projects, but um, they hope one day to test the technology to make wave farms, where energy is generated by using the motion from uh, waves. Yes, oh, absolutely. So we could totally do, we totally do that on the coast. Well, we totally. especially as the sea rises, we'll have more ocean. So you, yeah. see, so, exactly. you see, so you see a guy running down the road with his cell phone, saying, "Hey, can you hear me now?" No, he's just running down the road. He's charging his phone. Yeah, but you know, it's a waves of energy and waves yes. of. There's so mm. many different kind of way. Number three, an affordable water filtration infrastructure that removes pharmaceuticals mm. from that's a yes. big that's a big problem mm-hmm. at this point. People have a tendency to flush down their uh, pharmaceuticals, which is a bad idea. Yeah, and and there's just no really safe way that they know of to be able to to remove the pharmaceuticals. And unfortunately people just you know when they're through the drug just down the toilet. Yep. But there are a lot of pharmacies now that accept they just bring your drug back that you don't that you don't need and mm-hmm. they'll recycle it but until they do number two a sound technology that allows you to filter and hear only what you want to hear <gasps> that's not like you know that I heard I heard you say it's time for dinner but not that I have to wash the dishes yeah. afterward no, but this is targeting not like a hearing for autistic aid. people that would be life-changing yeah well what it does is it it, it it's a way for you to hear in a focused way so that if you only want to hear the TV, it blocks everything else out. Or if Kirsten and I want to have a conversation where we're not hearing anybody else you know, interrupt or interfere or stop our conversation. It's more of a targeted focus. It allows you to block all of like the background noise, all of like the, yeah, the ambient noises, anything distracting, things like that. Yeah, Yeah, that would be, that would be life changing for so many. Yeah. Yeah. And this is funny to me because they put it as number one. So what, what this guy says that he would really like to see in all the technologies is a truly accurate gas gauge for his car. <laughs> they really, they really think that the that the manufacturers, you know, kind of play with your mind a little bit so that you go to the last minute. You know, you don't really know how it is, so you want to play this game. But hmm. something that absolutely, instead of the float system, says, "Yep, you've got a fourth of a tank, and that's it. No more." Hmm. First or of all, half a tank. let me give a piece of advice to all our listeners. I know some people like to try to stretch it till you know it says you get one mile till you're empty. Don't do that because most of these uh, fuel pumps are actually in the tank now, and they use the fuel to cool down. So when you have an empty tank and you're always running empty, that pump doesn't get a chance to cool down; and it breaks down faster. Hmm. Little tip Didn't from your friends that. that left in the valley. That was something my grandpa always did. He's he let it. I think you only down to like half a tank. Yeah, you're much better off to just keep it full all the time or three quarters. And that way it doesn't cost as much to fill it up because you're not filling it up from empty all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. All anyway, right. there's a little trip to the future today. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, Nancy. Hopefully we can make it there. All right, my dear Christian, you have another brilliant moment for us? Yes, I do. Brought to you by religion. Okay, so how do you think... A Christian woman can make a bachelorette party go wrong in Vegas. 
Oh boy. Uh, how could she um, make it go wrong in Vegas? How could you make it go right? The, the stripper is Jesus. <laughs> okay, a little bit of backstory here. And I don't know the full truth of this story, but it's entertaining. So I'm going to share it. Okay. So there's a woman named Taylor, and she wasn't invited to the wedding of her college friend, Emma. Wonder Taylor why. got mad. Emma caved and invited her. Then Taylor learned she wasn't invited to the bachelorette party in Las Vegas, got mad again, and Emma caved and invited her again. <laughs> then Taylor sent this long list of rules to Emma and these 17 other guests... And one of them, I'm guessing, leaked it online because it is hilarious. So it's not her bachelorette party. She's just a guest, but yet she's setting the rules. Oh, yes. Oh, Christianity. Hi, all. I'm really excited for our upcoming trip to Vegas. I think it'll be such a good time and we'll all finally get to bond. I know Vegas is known as Sin City, but despite this, I still have to uphold the moral code of our father or our father inscribed in my heart. Due to this, I have some ground rules that I'd like everyone to follow. Oh, These God. will not only help me remain aligned with the church. I'm going to throw up. But also keep us all out of trouble. What could go wrong? Number one. Sunday, the 12th, I have found an appropriate church and contacted the pastor there explaining that we're from out of town, but we'd still like to attend services. Sunday at 7.15 a.m., We'll be Ubering to the church. She's pretty freaking bold to think that everybody's just going to get up and pack and follow her to church. Especially on a Sunday at 7.15 in Vegas. Vegas? After a bachelorette party? Good luck. Is there any any reason why anyone would wonder why this woman was not invited? Yeah, yeah, you know. Emma, what the hell did you do? She caved. (laughs) She caved. I think it'll be a nice way to cleanse us of our sins from that week. Yeah, first of all, you'll be going back to bed at 7 o'clock that morning after the bachelorette party. Yeah. Two, in the hotel room, no hard liquor. I don't want people getting inebriated and falling from the balcony. Also, as this is my first time being of age and in an environment with with prevalent drinking, I don't want to be tempted by these foul drinks. I'm not sure how I'll react to rum or tequila or vodka, and I'd like to test these in more controlled environments. Please stick to light beers and red wines. Oh, God. Number three. There will be no sex taking place in our hotel rooms anywhere in the suite, as none of us have committed ourselves to husbands. Oh, yet. my God. There's no Why need to have... go to Vegas? There's no need to have premarital sex. Number four. She's like the party pooper of the year, that woman. I I hope someone locked her in a closet before they left. Emma, what are you thinking? Please don't invite random men back to the suite. I do not see a need for them to be there and it's or know where we are staying. It's not a bachelorette party unless you have random men. But, but you notice Taylor is very familiar with all of these things she that is. go on. She's yes. suspiciously yes. familiar with all yeah. of them. I don't want to be robbed. <laughs> Number five. Nobody's going to steal your virginity. <laughs> Please Venmo me. each as I will be buying groceries for the hotel room. The last thing we need is to be famished in that desert heat. Oh my god. And number six. Absolutely under no circumstances, no drugs. Half of you currently work in (laughs) positions that require you to have security clearances and I do not want you to be tempted by these substances. Drugs bring nothing but problems. And here she specifically talks to one of 
50 people invited. Please leave your Adderall at home. I understand that you have a medical what? condition, what? but as we will not be studying, there's no need for you to take Adderall your methamphetamines. Isn't for studying? And if she is using it just for studying, she shouldn't freaking have Adderall. Please tell me they drugged her and left her in the middle of the desert somewhere. Please tell me that's what oh happened to that my. woman. Well, that's unkind. I put her in the closet. At least she was, you know, out of the elements. With the food. You're, yeah. Put in the closet with the food. There you go. You can eat yeah. all the food while we go that's, out and party. That's mean. That's just I, mean. I think that is all for now, but I am sure more will come up as, ti- as time draws closer. Can't wait to see you all. I hope these bridesmaids make... Is this? I, I missed this part. Was this the bride? This, no, this is, is a friend. This is, friend this is, is a, a bride. This is a bridesmaid. This yes. no, but not even that. She's just she's, a friend. She's a college friend of the bride, Emma. Taylor got mad at Emma for not being invited to the wedding, and so Emma invited her. I wonder why she didn't invite her. And then Taylor got mad that she wasn't invited to the bachelorette party. So this isn't the bride. This isn't bridesmaids. This is just a random friend who isn't really a friend if she didn't invite her holy shit i hope please, we make her please trip tell a me. living hell please I tell hope, me they brought I a stripper hope, named jesus do we know I how it turned they out they took her list i don't know how it turned and out used yet it as a checklist of everything to do <laughs> <laughs> i would so holy bring a stripper called jesus shit. with holes in his hands oh, and everything it's just God damn could you yes. imagine how these uh like the bride and the bridesmaids must have treated this woman now, now imagine when I would have just uninvited her. Now imagine what oh, kind I of party, bachelorette party she's gonna have when she gets married. Ooh, it's gonna um, be a Tupperware she's party. She's not gonna have bridesmaids. <laughs> it's gonna be a Tupperware party. No one will be her bridesmaid <laughs> unless She'll be she, like, was if the she only, has friends. The only way this woman would ever have bridesmaids is if she was rich. Yeah. Like, if she was rich and was going to have an amazing wedding. Well, I'm sure she'll have bridesmaids, but she might not have a bachelorette party, that's for sure. Well, but the thing is, being a bridesmaid is a, sh- is a lot. Of, you have to buy the dress. You have to. It's a lot of money. So if you don't like that person and they aren't paying for everything for you, like, like if this was a bride that was that was paying for everyone to go to Vegas and have a, like... Paying for their hotel, paying for everything. Okay, then yeah, you're gonna suck it up and have a good time. You're gonna sneak away to go have sex with a random dude or girl. <laughs> you're gonna go and do these things when they're not aware yeah, of them, like when it, they're sleeping it, at like eight o'clock. If this person does isn't going to be paying for all your stuff, and you're oh gonna have God. to pay for everything, and nah. be this person's bridesmaid, this woman is never getting bridesmaid. Nah, <laughs> like this person is. Insane. I just hope Amy and, and is a psychopath because she has no empathy. Amy needs to say no. This is the, the lesson Emma, learned. Emma, Emma, Emma I mean, needs Emma, to yeah. yes. What did I say? Amy. Amy, yeah. Amy, Emma, Emma one of them. No, <laughs> Emma, need, Emma definitely needs, needs to, to hone her no Yes, skills. yes, Let absolutely. this be a lesson to people. If you do not want somebody, it is okay to say no, and it right. is perfectly acceptable and, like, yeah, just say How no. How to have Christianity rule a, uh, ruin a good time. My God, that is so awful. <laughs> list of rules (laughs) i i would oh i don't know what i would do to that woman (laughs) to the bride and 17 other people no no you know you don't want to want to no i couldn't do that what what? i want to hear i want to hear like i would again take that as a checklist but take pictures and send them to her but i'm like "Eh, that wouldn't be good you know what the 16 other girls are probably gonna knock her you know you just have to wonder whether taylor would be the one to take everybody's 50 dollars get the drugs, the alcohol, the gigolos, the, 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 and then when she, and, and then collapse at 
seven fifteen in the yeah, morning exactly. at the at the church. <laughs> <laughs> like you think on Sunday morning at seven fifteen, people are going to show up at a, uh, to a church? You got to be in kidding Vegas. me. No. In Vegas? No, no. <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious if they got to the church, but it wasn't like a real church. That woman is delusional. Oh my God. It's a church where Elvis kisses marries you. Yep. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. And I'm like, that would be like the cherry on top. Oh, let us pray. Thank you, Kirsten. Was that it? Yeah, that was it. For perfect. Time. Perfect. So let's That take, was perfect. That let, was, let's take a yeah. quick pause while Emma just regains herself and tries to... <laughs> Avoid uh, the whatever her name was, and uh, let's take a pause. And when we come right back, we'll be with Dr. Matthew Hussinger. So Don't be a tailor, people. So stay with us. In a world torn apart by a lack of reason, or and I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. Podcast listeners, we are the Godless Heathens Podcast. Here's the details with no fine print. You got new episodes available every other Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. There's three of us, just like the Holy Trinity. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. Coming to you from a spare bedroom in exurban Atlanta where we'll examine the crossroads of politics and religion, but from the secular perspective. Sometimes we get heavy, sometimes we get deep. And no one is above reproach or mockery, especially each other. It's more of what you want and less of what you don't. So open your hearts and minds to the godless heathens in your podcast rotation. And you just might learn something, too. hasn't yet been a properly written apology for that disgrace. Staying in Africa, I think it will one day be admitted with shame that it might have been in error to say that AIDS is bad as a disease, very bad, but not quite as bad as condoms are bad, or not as immoral in the same way. Matthew Hussinger, he's got a PhD in social psychology and a master's in cognitive science. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Dr. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Round. Thanks for having me. Well, you say that now. <laughs> you might regret this in a few minutes. <laughs> Dr. Matthew, you are an expert in uh, conspiracy theories, and we're going to dwell into that. But for people that might know not know you, would you be so kind to give us a good bio of who Dr. Matthew Hussinger is? Sure. So I, um, I got my master's degree at Illinois State University, uh, my PhD in social psychology at University of Massachusetts. And so I, I finished school in 2010. And since then, I've been a professor, university professor. So I'm currently an associate professor on the, on the West Coast. Um, so I, 
I'm involved in a lot of research projects. Um, and actually, this, this conspiratorial thinking research is kind of a newer line of research uh, that uh, a friend and colleague and I are diving into. And um, But I've done a lot of work, research on the impact of mindfulness and looking at how the unconscious mind works, which Ooh. I can definitely bring into our discussion of conspiratorial thinking. Um, so I've, I've been on the side of publishing research. I've also been on the other side of it in terms of um, being a reviewer for other people's manuscripts who are trying to get their, their work published. I've, I've been involved in grant research. I'm actually currently involved in a grant-funded randomized control trial, um, looking at meditation as an intervention. Um, so, yeah, anything else? I, I like my favorite color is blue. Um, <laughs> I like to go hiking. Nice. Um, I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> I like long walks on the beach, especially if you're, you know, this coast where the beaches tend to be kind of rocky. Yes. Um, but the water is really cold, which is not so fun. But fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> so, doctor, I guess let's start. Maybe let, let, let's start with something very broad here. Can you define for us and for the audience what exactly is a conspiracy theory? Sure. So, a conspiracy theory tends to be uh, characterized by the idea that there there are a group of people, and those people can be small or large in size who are engaging in secretive behaviors um, that, that aim to you know, maintain power, control other people, things like that. And so it's, it's a group of people usually done in secret um, and, and are trying to exert control over others in some way for some kind of gain for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that's kind of a general way of thinking about what, what makes for a conspiracy. Conspiracy theory. I mean, the, the, the tricky thing about defining it is though there are things that would have been called conspiracies until we found out they were true. Mm-hmm. And then they're, and I mean, they're a conspiracy, but they're not a theory in, in the sense that we know that they're happening. So it's not just something that someone's proposing could be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are things that we find out, like, you know, in the United States, there are things that we found out our government did. Like the Bay of Pigs, for example, we didn't know about it at the time, but we found out about it afterwards, you know. So um, that's one tricky thing about, I think, conspiracy theories is that is that governments and groups of people do do things in secret. And sometimes we do find out about them. Has, has conspiracy theories always, it seems like a, like a stupid question, but has conspiracy theories always been prevalent in human history? Have we always been prone to make up these kind of stories about things happening? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I haven't yet looked into the history in terms of how far back conspiracy <laughs> theories go, but I would, I would imagine the answer to your question is yes, just because um, when we look at the psychological profile of the conspiracy theorist, at least the hardcore conspiracy mm-hmm. theorist, then I think those tendencies of mind are things that have been with us as a species for a long time. Um, so, so if that's true, then they should probably have a long history, mm-hmm. I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so what is it about conspiracy theories that we find so intriguing and so alluring? Sure. So, I mean, I think there, there probably is something seductive about, um, probably to all of us to some degree, about um, people doing things in secret that could 
be impacting us and knowing about that. I mean, I, we, right? Well, I mean, we have, of course, this tendency to, to enjoy gossip. <laughs> We're kind of why it seems wired to enjoy gossip and to to enjoy hearing about other people's lives and drama happening in other people's lives. And I think there, I suspect to some degree, there is something alluring about conspiracy theories, in that it's kind of human drama. Mm-hmm. Right? It's people doing things in secret. And, and maybe most often for nefarious purposes. Um, and I think that can be seductive. Mm-hmm. But, but I think there's also just, uh, and I can get into more, I can talk about this now or get into a little bit later, but I think there are certain ways in which be, believing in conspiracies for an individual can help them meet certain basic psychological needs. Mm-hmm. And so where you are in that continuum of how much those needs how important those needs are to you, I think will have a, could, will have an impact on how alluring a conspiracy theory is. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I, I, I just Alone. wanted to yeah. jump in here. Um, Cause I, I grew up in a family that was heavily involved in con- conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and I, I found that it almost makes you feel special mm-hmm. because when you, Oh, I, I am in the small group that knows about this yes. conspiracy yes. happening. Yes. You're woke. And, and it makes your life feel more exciting. Yeah. And, yeah. and yes. it gives you purpose almost. Cause you're like, Oh, I have to like fight against this evil cabal. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think that plays into a lot of people that are part of conspiracy theory groups. So, so I guess the question that you may be trying to ask here is what exactly is the, uh, the um, psychological profile of the general person who believes in the conspiracy theory. Sure. Let me start with um, with your your comment. What was your name again? Kevin. You're just no, not Kevin. The person oh, just Christina. Spoke. Christina. Sorry. So Christina, I, I'll start with your point because I think that's a really that's a really interesting, um, insightful observation mm-hmm. from you know that you have from growing up in that kind of family, and I think that you are spot on that that there is. There's something that believing in a conspiracy gives you in terms of, number one, feeling special. It actually, correlational studies on conspiratorial thinking finds that the more, the stronger a person desire to feel special, the more likely they are to, to believe in, in a conspiracy. So, um, so that research lines up perfectly with what you mm-hmm. are saying and what you, it sounds like what you may have experienced. Because, yeah, it does, I mean, we all want to feel special. Right, and in, in more individ, individualistic cultures, we want to feel unique mm-hmm. in addition to feeling special. And so, yeah, believing that that you are part of this small group of humans who know the truth, and everyone else is being duped. Yes, yes. Um, that can certainly lead to feeling special. And actually, I see that um, I see that happening, for example, a lot in the flat Earth community because that's, yes, that's a community yeah. that I follow. Where you know, I mean, the, the conferences you'll you know the video footage i've seen it really i that really does come across to me that that people are feeling like they're part of this special group they have this special knowledge um and you know and i actually see a lot of parallels and i'm not saying this to disparage uh religion in any way but i i've heard religious people use the same kind of language mm-hmm. um yeah people who are fundamentalist evangelical well they'll say well you know we know the truth like we have the path to salvation yep. And you all, everyone else is going to hell. Mm. You know, you all are not on a path. Like there's one path to the mountaintop, and we have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that again, that feeling of specialness. Like we are the chosen people who who know what the path is up to the mountaintop. Or, you know, and likewise, mm-hmm. we are the we're the people who have figured out what is actually happening and what these people are trying to do to us. We don't necessarily know who they are, but we know that they 
are trying to do, you know, A, B, and C, and we know about it, mm-hmm. so we won't let them manipulate us in that way, and all of you are being duped. And I think it also, the other thing you said, Christina, was about the control issue, right? That it, And we do find that when people, um, people who believe in conspiratorial thinking are more likely to have what we call an external locus of control, Yeah. meaning the outcomes of my life are based on chance and luck and, and the agency of other people. Like, I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm a good driver, but I could get a car accident any time. And if I do, it's because, you know, other drivers are bad. If, you know, if things aren't going well in my life, well, it's because other people are doing things to, you know, to um, negatively impact me. And so, yeah, like feeling like you know who's, you know that the people are doing something to you and you, you know what they're doing and maybe how they're doing it. You don't know who they are. That does allow, I think, people to take, you know, to take back a feeling of control. And actually, in relation to that, when we do, when we look at experimental studies, so these are studies that, um, with correlational studies, there's no way to make statements about cause and effect because you don't, you have no idea what's whether you know A is causing B, B is causing A, or C is causing A and B. Mm-hmm. But with experimental studies, when you have tight control and you can employ, you can randomly assign people to conditions, then you kind of you can talk about causality. And even when you take people who are not necessarily prone to conspiratorial thinking, and you take away their feeling of control and you create a lot a feeling of uncertainty they will be more likely to endorse conspiratorial thinking because the idea being that presumably that they're trying to take back that yeah. feeling of control or trying to create more certainty. Hmm. That's true. But, yeah. Yeah. So which I think goes, which is, which is exactly in line you know, mm-hmm. with what you talked about um, growing up. So mm-hmm. I think that that, I think those basic needs of, you know, feeling, um, feeling special, a feeling of belongingness, you know, being part mm-hmm. of a small group, whether, you know, whether it's the flat earth movement or anti-vaxxers or, um, you know, QAnon, like being part of a small group of people um, who, where there's probably a lot of social cohesion because there's very much this um, this common cause that they share, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so they can, there's probably, it's easy to experience social cohesion and to satisfy that need to belong that we all, mm-hmm. you know, we all have. Um, so there's that. And I think, I think there's also though, in terms of the profile, so those are the motivational, emotional pieces. And I think there's also kind of a cognitive style piece where, um, where people who experience the world in certain ways, they're maybe probably more likely to be Come conspiracy theorists. So, for example, there's research finding that the more conspiratorial someone is in their thinking, um, the more they believe there's purpose in the universe. Um, they tend to perceive causal relationships and like non-connected events. So, like if you give them a like a correlation that's that's what we call spurious, that a it doesn't really cause b, they'll see as you know a is causing b, or mm-hmm. they'll perceive agency when there isn't. Like if if you yes. design a program where you it, it, it causes shapes to move in a random, in a random fashion. Like they will attribute agency to those those movements. So I think when you combine those basic psychological needs with these ways that you tend to see, where you tend to find uh, patterns in the world where there are none, with like so stochastic or random information, um, I think that combo can easily lead to cons- you know conspiratorial thinking. And I've seen this again and again. I've listened to a lot of debates between flat earthers and, you know, and, and non flat earthers. Um, and again, again, you know, you'll see the way they make these connections or they find patterns, you know, in information that's, that's not 
there. Um, for example, they'll say, well, the moon landing was faked, the U.S. moon landing was faked, and that's because they're trying to cover up the shape of the Earth. Yeah. And, and the Antarctic Treaty exists because they're trying to hide the ice wall. <laughs> yeah. And they have, to, they have to assume what the intentions are for those two events. Like, let's say, let's give them the moon landing, because I know people who believe the moon landings were faked and they're not um, yeah. flat earthers. But let's say we give them the moon landing. You know, they still have to provide evidence as to why the landing was faked. Um, and, they, and they have to provide evidence as to why a group of nations would get together and kind of block off a part of the world um, to, to deceive us versus for ge- you know geopolitical mm-hmm. purposes. Yeah, they but give because a lot of power they make just this assumption. What? They give a lot of power to just NASA, to just one agency, thinking like the, the NASA rules everything in the world for some reason. Right, exactly. So they, they make all these assumptions, which allow them to connect all these events together to create this like mm-hmm. this network, this pattern. Which, but the, the, if any of their assumptions are false, the, the whole the whole network falls yeah. apart. You and know? I, I find if there's if there's connections that should be made that would take away from their theory, they ignore those. Because <laughs> yes. like, oh, well, yeah. like that, and they'll, and they'll work it somehow to actually make it fit. Like they'll twist reality to fit exactly preconceived idea. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, there's, it's like the, the standards of evidence are constantly shifting and changing with them. And, and they're, you know, they're willing to apply a rule in one area, but not in another. Mm-hmm in a way that fits like you said like allows them to protect their belief system essentially yeah, yeah the whole moon landing conspiracy is, is, is just ridiculous anyway Nancy didn't you used to date mm-hmm. Buzz Aldrin <laughs> Nancy you used to date Buzz Aldrin didn't you really yeah Nancy, no, Nancy and really. Buzz used to be a thing oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can tell <laughs> one of these days I'll tell you why he had the name Buzz <laughs> <laughs> boom I, I 10 points Nancy yeah I as soon as I, if, when I get to know Matthew a little bit better, <laughs> we know he can be trusted. Yeah, we're, starting, we're starting a new conspiracy right now. Um. <laughs> I don't think this is too off track, but from what you're saying, I'll, I'll venture the question out anyway. Do you find that people who become involved in um, conspiracy theory groups are sort of the same kind of personality type that gets involved with a cult in that mm. they feel displaced they don't feel that they have any power on their own they feel like outliers and in joining either the conspiracy group or the cult that now they have a group support they feel as though they're devoting their life to something important and that they've gained some power and and some presence in the world right that's a good question you know i I do think that um i guess I have two thoughts about that. One, I do think that the entry point, so to speak, for some people, some number of people into conspiracy theorist communities is about belonging, that they're looking. I mean, for example, I've um, in, in watching some of the video footage of Flat Earth conferences, some of, there was one speaker, I forget who, but he talked about not feeling like he ever belonged his whole life until he found the Flat Earth community. Um, and so that to me is really, that was like, wow, that's really mm-hmm. powerful. I mean, there's, you know, here's this very basic psychological need that he didn't have 
completely met for many years in his life and then finally he has it met in this community and did, I don't know if, if the three of you saw the Behind the Curve documentary yes. on yes. Netflix. I love that. Yeah, it. so there's towards the end of it, I don't know if you remember this, Mark Sargent is asked, well, what if, what happens if, uh, you know, if you find out that what you believe is wrong? Like, what are you going to do? And he basically, I'm paraphrasing, he basically, he basically, it sounds like he's saying that he still wouldn't leave the community. Mm -hmm that he would stick with it, even if he didn't believe the earth is flat anymore. So, mm. you know, so maybe people like Mark Sargent and, and the other person who I'm thinking of, um, maybe one of their main entry point to the community was because of, you know, like wanting to find a place of belongingness. But I, I think that even yeah. if someone doesn't enter a, cons like a, a conspiracy theory community through that, because of that, that they end up probably feeling that. And so that is going to serve as a motivator to keep them in it. Yeah. Just like, but I think that cults probably, I would imagine there are probably more people who end up in cults. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just my um, hypothesis. There are probably, I would imagine there are more people who end up in cults who are looking for a group to belong to. And because I think there are plenty of, like for example, flat earthers who, um, maybe start to see things that don't make sense and they don't because they don't understand it it can't be true like oh i don't understand the ex the mainstream explanation of some phenomenon so it can't mm -hmm. be it can't be true there's something funny going on there's something fishy yeah. you know or they just they have that belief in you know groups of people in secret you know um, orchestrating these plans that control others and so here's this really juicy conspiracy mm -hmm. this you know um in terms of the earth, the shape uh, of the earth and the motion of the earth. So, yeah, I think that there are probably, I would even imagine there are some people who join the flat earth community, for example, who don't actually care what the shape of the earth is or maybe even don't strongly believe the earth is flat, but they really feel good being in the community because of that belongingness factor. Does mm -hmm. that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. But I, I, mm -hmm. I have a question. Uh, you know, it seems to me, this is, of course, this is anecdotal. But it seems to me that, you know, there seems to be more conspiracies on one side of the political spectrum than the other. So my mm. question is, 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 do conspiracy theories have a tendency to be influenced by your political leanings or is it vice versa? I mean, if you're, if you're a conspiracy theorist, do you have a tendency to be more conservative or is it because you're conservative that you more have a tendency to listen to conspiracy theories? I'm, I'm actually going to jump in here because I think, I think the... The way we think mm -hmm. plays both into our politics mm -hmm. and our outlook on life. And that I think the th same things that make you more conspiratorial make you more likely to be conservative. Yeah. But I, I guess the first question is, is, I don't know if you have any data on this, but is there one side of the political spectrum that has a tendency to believe more into conspiracy theories than the other? Sure. I don't, I don't know of any research that... Um does looked at political ideology and conspiratorial thinking to see if people tend to be more on one side of the spectrum than the other. But I would imagine if if that research was done, that they would find that that people probably more conservative, yeah. right leaning, just because and the reason I say that is I is because <laughs> sorry. I, Siri <laughs> thought I was talking to her. <laughs> Siri is I, jealous. Um, <laughs> so um so there's there is there are a few there have been a few studies that I think speak to that question indirectly and I and I think that uh, what Christina says actually sp spot on that that I think there is a psychological profile that 
probably makes one more likely to be both conservative and conspiratorial mm-hmm. in their thinking. Um, so people who are who identify as conservative are, for example, more likely to be prevention-focused. So if mm-hmm. you look at this basic dichotomy of being promotion versus prevention-focused, so promotion-focused is about making sure people are doing okay, like they're not you know, falling through the cracks. Yeah. And being prevention-focused is more about making sure people don't exploit the system, mm-hmm. people don't engage in you know, immoral behavior, right? And so there's been plenty of research finding that conservatives are much more prevention-focused than promotion, relatively speaking, and that people who are liberal, progressive, tend to be more promotion-focused mm. than, than prevention-focused. And people who are conspiratorial in their thinking tend to be more prevention-focused. Um, and and I, let's see, I'm just looking at the other, I'm just like looking at the list of other studies that have been, <laughs> been done. There's a lot of them. Um, I mean, so, you know, people who are conspiratorial in their thinking tend to have a stronger belief that society is under threat, you know, and I, mm, and I yes, believe there yes. is research showing that people um, tend to become more conservative when, um, when they perceive a threat, you know, mm-hmm. because conservatism rights tends to maybe have more structure. So people maybe who are, who feel threatened tend to feel safer. Yeah, it shows, it shows in the rhetoric too. The politicians that are conservative and they try to appeal to the base, they always have this imminent threat coming Right, right. And policies that kind of try to address that threat in ways that, you know, I mean, I, I identify as liberal progressive, for example, and, you know, in ways that I tend to find, like in the U.S., the, you know, the things that Trump um, proposes to, to supposedly keep our country safe are measures that, well, number one, I don't think, mm-hmm. are, in some cases, are actually not going to be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> or they're going to be helpful, maybe, but at the expense of human rights mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and our... And, and the spirit of America, which is, I believe, to like to help out, <laughs> mm-hmm. given, you know, the abundance of resources and wealth that we that we have. Um, so, yeah, so I think that conspiratorial theorists are probably more likely to be conservative because both are stemming from certain t- psychological tendencies. Is it possible that these same people might be more victims of the quote unquote Dunning-Kruger effect? Is it yes, possible that you that, believe that, in a conspiracy because you think you know more than you actually do? I do. I, I see that so much. Um, I mean, I think it's it's really easy to see that, for example, in the Flat Earth Movement, um, be, because the Flat Earth Movement contains um, so much scientific information. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a conspiracy like QAnon um, is a little bit different because that's I guess that's more kind of politically charged. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't involve science necessarily, but the flat Earth movement involves a lot of science. You know, people who are flat Earthers have to have to take on physicists and engineers and and debate with them about and pilots you know, their, and pilots <laughs> and debate with their you know about their understanding of the way the world works. And I see that I see that again and again that a, a flat Earther will say something, the other person will will try to correct them. And help them understand why their understanding is either incorrect or incomplete. I mean, mm. I I did that myself. I was um, in dialogue with a, someone in the flat Earth community over um, over Skype messaging, and and he said he said, well, that you know, space can't exist because you can't have an atmosphere next to a vacuum. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I spent an hour like looking up, looking it up, and then I actually consulted with an astrophysicist at my university, nice. just you know, to make sure. And I came back. I was like, "Look, you're, you know, what you said is correct. That, that, you know, for example, that systems move towards uh, disorder. You know, the second law of thermodynamics yes. that entropy states that like systems will move 
um, into a kind of a more balanced state. But but it's in, like your description is incomplete because there are other factors that can be at work. Um, you know, living for a living system to be a living system, it has to resist entropy at every moment that it's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so but when I when, like for example, when I tried that with that individual. Um, he just accused me of being brainwashed, yeah. wow. essentially, you know. Yeah. So um, I think the Dunning-Kruger effect is, is is alive and well in many of these conspiracy mm-hmm. theory communities, especially ones that involve um, having to understand pretty complex phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess the question arises then is, let, let, let's be completely clear here. Somebody who's in the... Um, the uh, grasp of a conspiracy theory is not a person who's dumb. They're not dumb. They're oh, not dumb no. people. Quite the opposite. They're actually quite right. smart. They're seeing patterns where there's no patterns, etc., etc. So, how do we reach these people? I mean, I mean, it seems that if you're using facts, they're just going to counter with other quote-unquote facts. So, how how do we get to the person to make him see that their position might be erroneous? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. That's something that I. I'm working on uh, myself just because I've had now, I've been in dialogue with two different people from the flat earth community and, I, and I've tried, you know, I've tried just like the basic scientific information approach of mm-hmm. just, you know, taking what they believe, taking the, the quote unquote evidence that they send me and trying to respond to that and help them understand, like, like refute the evidence they're providing or help them understand why it's not actually evidence for, you know, mm-hmm. earth being flat or earth being stationary. Um, and that doesn't seem to work because then they just, they find a way to dismiss mm-hmm. what I say, or they just, they're just evasive. Like they just don't mm-hmm. deal with it. They just change the subject. Yeah. I've also tried, um, you know, and this is only a sample of two. So obviously mm-hmm. this, you know, we can't generalize this. I've tried kind of, you know, kind of getting more at the psychological piece of it. Like, Hey, you know, you seem to be like I'm seeing this pattern in in your thought process. Like, do you think that thought that pattern could be causing bias? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just tend to come back and tell me that I'm biased, that I'm you know, and that I'm um, brainwashing. I, mean, I think that one of the one of the tricky things about it is that they is that I, I think ultimately what we first need to do is understand what needs are being met by that individual's involvement in the community. Mm-hmm. And, and I think then, I think that, could, that can be a good starting point. Um, you yeah. know, for example, I, I've heard a bunch of people and when they're talking about the shape of the earth that it'll, at basically at the end of the conversation, they'll, it'll, you know, they'll reveal that basically one thing this comes down to for them is that they feel like if the earth were, were a ball spitting through this huge, you know, universe um that they're not the center of that they would feel kind of meaningless in their existence Mm -hmm. and so you know so that would have to be the place to start Mm -hmm. probably for that individual saying like hey you can live in a big universe that you're not in the center of on a on a you know ball that's rolling through space and you can still have a meaningful existence and you don't you don't need these things to have a meaningful existence or you know if it's about belongingness for them then like hey you can you can get belongingness um, in a way that's not at the cost of yourself in in a bunch of ways, mm-hmm. um, and at the cost of your kids mm-hmm. um, in a bunch of ways. So, but the problem is, I think that to get to that level with someone, you tend to have to know them. get to know them well enough that they trust you and you have rapport. 
And that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that's going to happen in yeah. a debate. In a regular debate, yeah. And especially, it yeah. seems that the, these conspiracy theorists are in the, the throw of uh, an emotional need mm-hmm. to be uh, to, to, to believe exactly mm-hmm. that. And if we talk about, you know, you're trying to bring scientific facts against what is essentially an emotional debate, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to go anywhere. Yeah. Well, but the right. interesting thing is, I think sometimes the scientific facts do work. Well, yeah. But mm-hmm. because if they got, if it totally depends on that individual, because like some people entered into the com- community because they thought they had all the facts. Mm-hmm. And if that person isn't there to necessarily fill a, like a psychological need, giving them the facts will will work. But that's the thing, right? That's the thing, because this goes back to my story about the, the me liking dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be wrong on the facts. Yeah. Well, so this is why as soon as, as Matthew comes in with the latest scientific facts, it's a conspiracy. All well, of a sudden, he's but, deluded. But I think the people who don't want to be wrong on the facts are the people who are there for an emotional need. Yes. And those people, you do need to come from a totally different direction. But you can't come from, a, you can't try to resolve a scientific debate with emotion. No, because like, because I, I know with, with my mom, who is very conspiratorial, like, they, oh, she, like she, like, Matthew, you could do a PhD <laughs> on her family. You know, like, you, well, I, I, whole I grew up watching Alex Jones daily. Oh, okay. um, my my mom thinks like global warming is a hoax. Thinks like um, the the well, I forget what the school shooting. Um, Sandy Hook. Oh, yeah, 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 Sandy Hook. No, Sandy, Sandy Hook thinks that was a like a false flag. False flag. Um, <laughs> think, oh, thinks Hillary Clinton is like dying of dementia. I'm like that's the wrong person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and and she is like I I've been slowly building a rapport with her for years to and we recently had I recently had a conversation with her like and I was able to like talk more about like the psychological side with her being like explaining confirmation bias to her and I, I don't think it really worked but you could tell it made her gears turn Thanks. a little bit okay yeah that's a good start mm-hmm. yeah that's a good start I mean I think yeah, I mean, I think it's. I agree that there are some people for whom perhaps it is purely mm. informational, yeah. and that they just they don't have the knowledge um, mm-hmm. to to understand why they're they're misunderstanding mm-hmm. the information. I, you know, I, like they don't they don't understand physics well enough to understand why mm-hmm. they don't get it. You know, and if if someone could just correct them, but I, I you know, it's tr- I think it's tricky because even when even when people are in it because they've they've discovered things or they think they've discovered things or they've been given information that gets that mm-hmm. gets them questioning things. I think that I think that one of the tricky things is that they, they still may get swept up mm-hmm. in things like um, you know, cognitive dissonance yeah. and confirmation bias and they just get more and more entrenched in that belief system because they've made a you know, they've mm-hmm. made a commitment and investment of time and they've maybe, you know, made a public certain ways of like publicly pronouncing you know mm-hmm. their commitment to this yeah. and so when people do that um yeah. they're they are more likely to you know to experience cognitive dissonance well and telling you know. the world you've been wrong is hard it hurts it is hard it yes. is hard. yeah, yeah exactly. you're wrong is difficult yeah. but um yeah. i i think where i found success in talking with people who are conspiratorial thinking it's similar to like with with counseling how you you want to lead that person to understanding without them realizing you're leading them anywhere right it's like is that like um with one of the things that my mom 
thinks with like the Sandy Hook is like, oh, the parents were laughing. And like before they were sad, like like um, there was like a press conference the day after. And I, and I asked her like, so do you think like when you lose a child, you're only ever sad? And, mm. and she had to answer that because it's like she has to like, OK, do I think that? And I, I think that that helped her a little bit being like, OK, like if I lost my child, would I only then from then on be sad? It's like, no, people are complex. Yeah, you're kind of you're answering the questions we've been asking for this whole time. It seems that the weapon that we need to use to jolt these people out of conspiracy theory is street epistemology. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the, way, the way Anthony Magnabasco and Peter Bogosian, you said you're in Portland, so you should get you in touch with Peter Bogosian, by the way. And uh, maybe that's really the key to really ask Socratic type method questions to people to make them come to realize at some point that this is not quite making sense at some point. It's going to be mm-hmm. a. That's, what, that's where my mind was going yeah, as yeah. you were discussing right. is mm-hmm. that there are parallels between the street epistemo- yeah. epistemology that we use in atheism. and trying to get mm-hmm. somebody yeah. to understand it's the, the same confirmation thing. bias. Yeah. And, and I think one thing that we have to do is not to attack this kind of person. Mm-hmm. Because because they are in a defensive mode, and it, when you attack them, they're more likely to put their their guard up and be like, they're "No, I'm right. Yeah. You're part of the conspiracy." Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think that we also, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Because one thing I was thinking about is that I think we we combine street epistemology with humanizing mm-hmm. totally um, what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's you know humanizing being wrong, humanizing not having everything figured out. Um, humanizing, like, like feeling committed to something because you put time and energy and maybe money, yeah, you know, into it that you and yet you've told other people about it. You've kind of proselytized, um, and so yeah, I think I think that that can be a really powerful combo mm-hmm. um, is street epistemology with with humanizing uh, because I think you're right, Christina, that we that we I mean. The people I'm seeing, for example, who are trying to combat the flat earth movement by calling them idiots. It's, um, it doesn't work. Like, it's no. just not going to help. I mean, I, I, I can understand why they're feeling that way about them, but it's not going to yeah. get them to be more open to, mm-hmm. to what we have to, to say. Yeah. Because <laughs> all they do with that is, oh, when when people... Well, yeah. all you can do is like, oh, when the every time like a new discovery happens everyone's called an idiot like there's ways of twisting that to like yeah. actually strengthen their argument yeah right it's really right. Fa- it's really fascinating it's destructive but it's fascinating to watch someone like trump who um believes in so many conspiracies and, <laughs> and they're part of his makeup and when you watch him and he's confronted he doubles down he lies mm-hmm. he does everything he can to defend his point of view and it's like watching you know what happens to a person when they are involved in conspiracy theory as our own you're he's right there and you can watch everything that he's almost textbook in in what we're talking about as to why you know a certain person has has conspiracy theories I, I just want to do a quick parenthesis here because i forgot to do this at the beginning of the show but uh, guys I, I got some gifts for you guys uh, i i purchased uh, a uh, toilet brush with trump's hair and I got one for each one of you. <laughs> I am so wow. excited. I'm going to go Do home and one? use it. <laughs> you just broke, so, the, just broke the whole studio. So, so Matthew, to kind of take, a, take a, little, a, little, a little break um, and, and ask you a personal question, how uh-huh. did you get involved 
in this field of study? What was it that yeah, that was your that was your the attraction for you? Yeah. So I let's see. I mean, I, I what happened was I got I watched a lot of YouTube videos and I love watching debates. And I love watching debates in which two groups of people are looking at the same information but coming to radically mm-hmm. different conclusions. I think the mm-hmm. first kind of debate I end up watching for that um, kind of topic is the um, the the was Jesus a mythical figure debate oh, yes, know, where yes, yes. you have people all people you know, people looking at the same data and some people are saying he never existed like he never existed the human being other people saying he existed and he you know did all the things that are in the New Testament um, and I'm you know I just was so fascinated by that because I'm like wow these scholars are all looking at the same data um, and they're scholars, so they, they're employing rigorous techniques to look at that data. So what's going on there that they are coming to very different conclusions? And exactly. so um, I, you know, watching YouTube videos, and one day this Flat Earth video showed up on my list of, you know, suggestions, my suggestion queue. I'm like, oh, I know nothing about this topic. I'll watch it. It was, um, I forget who it was. I think Nathan Oakley or Nathan Tom- Thompson. Um and that kind of got me started mm-hmm. on this. I just jumped into the rabbit hole um, <laughs> of watching videos by flat earthers and you know channels like Godless Engineer and Team Skeptic yeah, yeah, and Non Sequitur yeah. Show. Yes, yes, right? um, good channels. Yeah, like and um, and oh, what's that other one? There's a guy who I also watch who's well, must be the left of the valley show. <laughs> <laughs> I forget something of yeah. So I you know I started watching all those and that got. It's got me fast as a social psychologist. I was just like, "Whoa, this is so, this is so interesting." And that, and then I decided at one point to just start a lot of research on conspiratorial thinking. So I started looking at the research on it, and I contacted by a friend of mine who um, we went to grad school together. He is a fellow social psychologist, and I was like, "Hey, do you want to do research on conspiratorial thinking?" He's like, "Yes, that sounds awesome." Yes. So well, it's sorely needed. So it is. Yeah. It really is. So last but not least, Matthew, before we let you go, uh, if if we're looking at the political you know, uh, tendencies right now, do you think that we have more conspiracy theories now than we used to have? Is that, Or is it just because of uh, we have more population? Is, there, is it the same kind of level? Or are we getting worse in this? Right. Well, so one, I have two thoughts. One is, when there is research finding that when there's some kind of event that affects large groups of people in a society um, that creates some kind of threat, whether that threat is actual or perceived, that conspiracy theories tend to gain momentum. So, um, you know, are there more conspiracies today than the past? I mean, I know they're, depending on what domain you're looking at, I mean, the world is safer than it was in the past. It's also maybe less safe than it was in the past in other ways. So it's maybe... um, wash in that way but i do think one thing that's probably allowing conspiracy theories to more easily emerge and gain momentum is just technology yeah the internet that yeah exactly it's so easy to mm-hmm. to, to create a community yeah. um without ever meeting people in person or face to face and without having to go anywhere yeah. well yeah, it's also sure. so easy now to get a little bit of information yeah because mm-hmm. before to get information you'd have to read a book you'd have to talk to a scholar and you wouldn't just get a little bit of information you'd get it all and now you can people can take say like a textbook and talk, chop it up and make a, a page about it but only include a little bit and yeah. to support their argument 
Right, just, exactly. There definitely yeah, are some people like, that are doing you know, like this. They don't, they don't need to have oversight in that mm-hmm. process of understanding. Exactly. You know, they can, and they can, and then they can start, their oversight process can be people within their community. So it could be the blind leading the blind. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be a group of people all misunderstanding something, reinforcing each other's misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without like, I mean, for example, you know, this, um, one, of the, one of the flat earthers I was in dialogue with at one point, we were debating about how much curvature exists. And he's like, I want you to just show me how much curvature there is in a given distance. So um, so I knew that the math that he used. And so I went to a mathematician at my university um, and verified that the math he's using was inappropriate. And, and I provided him with the appropriate math. And he rejected it. Wow. Um, and I was like, so... He's like, well, I know, I know this stuff. Like, I know it. I know what I'm talking about. I understand this. I'm like, so you understand more about math than a mathematician who has exactly. three decades yeah. of experience and a PhD. Yeah. Um, and so he just didn't want. He just didn't want that oversight because it was a threat to his belief system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like technology allows us to get information and and misunderstand it without. Mm-hmm understanding that we misunderstand it and why we misunderstand it and then verify it with other people who misunderstand it and and we were actually talking about this earlier i think another thing that the internet has allowed is us to have access to so many resources but we haven't been taught how to um like tell what is a good resource and a a good source and how to verify that so we, we have access to all these these youtube videos and we think oh this person seems to know what they talk about but we we haven't learned to, okay, what are his actual credentials? Where is his money? Like, is he getting paid by anyone? Like, the, yeah, there might actually be a correlation between the rise of conspiracy theorists and the rise of YouTube at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it says what's happening is that regardless of how outrageous your idea or your fantasy is, you have it's not going to take you too, very long to find someone else on social media that agrees with you, yes. that validates right. you, and now there you go. You're, you're, right. off, you and, you're off yeah, and running and, and starting right. a group. Out of the you know, billions of adults in the world, there, there will be at least a few yeah. who will believe you no matter how outrageous the idea is. Perfect. <laughs> Dr. Matthew Hustinger, thank you so much for explaining all this to us today. But if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, so I have a Gmail address, contactmatthew at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. And I'd be happy to be on the show again. Oh, of course. Yay. That's a given for sure. <laughs> awesome. Matthew. It was great to meet all we, you. There are so many more conspiracies to <laughs> <laughs> before, Indeed, before, before I let you go, I gotta have you say hi. This is Dr. Matthew Hussier, and I took a left of the valley. Hi, this is Dr. Matthew Hussier, and I took a left of the valley. Fantastic. And so should you. <laughs> Sorry, had to throw that in. No problem. And that was Dr. Matthew Hussinger. Hey, our new best friend. Absolutely. What a fantastic guy. We could have gone on on this forever. We, oh. we really could have. We didn't. We barely got into we like, barely any, the surface. any actual, like, because we were going very broad topic. Like, we didn't dive into really anyone. Like, we, we talked most about, like, Flat Earth, but, like, mm-hmm. 
there are so many you can just well, one of dive the things, into. And I would have liked to have gotten into how this might relate to the neuroscience. Yes, yes. You know, and we never mm-hmm. did get into Next that time. part. We'll of have it to. Either. We'll absolutely have to de- yeah. dig deeper because this is just fascinating. And then yeah. the whole the whole Dunning Kruger effect that I put in there, and I thought it was oh, well, all of a sudden he's talking, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this must be you know, and <laughs> we're seeing I so know. many parallels between this kind of thinking, what's happening in politics, what's happening in atheism, what's happening in religion. It's like absolutely. It's all coming together. So what a fantastic guest. So that was great. And and a, and a repeat offender, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to Dr. Matthew Hussinger for being with us, and thank you for listening. So you can find us at leftofthevalue.com. You can find us on the Twitter at LATV Podcast, on Facebook. You can send us an email at leftofthevalueoutlook.com. Give us a five-star review wherever you find us. helps us and helps others find the show. You can help us by becoming a Patreon at uh, Patreon slash LATV. Uh, okay, coming up. So next week we have our old friend Dr. Hector Garcia is coming yeah. back to talk about his book about uh, sex, power, and partisanship. And then after that, for the month of May, we'll have Dr. Del Rey that's coming back about negotiating your relationship. Oh, I'm so excited. We'll have Sarah Austin, transgender YouTuber. We'll have our old friend David Fitzgerald that's coming back to talk to us about Moses. And speaking of street epistemology, our old friend Anthony Magnabasco is back as well. Power Yay. summer coming up. June in June we'll have our old friend nuclear physicist Dr. Ben Davis and we'll also have Andrew Jasko and Red Burks from the Skeptical Texans and we'll be talking about cults (laughs) so we'll also have uh, from the the Minnesota atheist uh, uh, Hertzy Hertz that should be fun and remember Linus Starr our Satanist friend she wrote a book and she'll be coming back to talk to us about the book she wrote as well wonderful we got jam packed session here going down the road we got good stuff we got good stuff yeah perfect excellent anything else I'm forgetting don't forget to use your uh, Trump brush oh we will I can't wait to clean my (laughs) toilet now I've been keeping my toilet dirty for weeks just waiting on that thing to happen (laughs) now I can clean it nice and clean I'm going to have to put a picture up because people have no idea what we're talking about. The Trump brush. It's wonderful. It's going to be an artifact. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. We've really been looking forward to today. You guys should see this guy, too. He's a good looking guy. Look at this picture. Oh, thank you. Wait a minute. Here comes the It's a small picture. He's a good looking guy. Oh, I'll adopt him. There we go. There we go. He's got fans already. (laughs) You weren't expecting this, Matthew, were you? I wasn't, but, you know, it's flattering. It's nice to hear. I'm sure all of you are very good-looking people as well. No, yeah, we are. Kevin. We, 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 we have a face for radio. I do, I, that's for sure. No, I, that's what I said. Especially me. I've got a face for radio. There's no doubt about that. All in God's name. And let me take a sec. Don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. Something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist.